Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the show. Britain's top 10 pies have been revealed. <laughs> this is my favourite top 10 ever. It's going to make me immediately ravenous. Mm-hmm. Number 10, the Melton Mowbray pork pie. Number 9, the meat and potato pie. Number 8, the pot pie. Number 7, the pasty. Not a pie, it's a pasty. Number 6, pie and mash. That's not a pie, it's just oh. a pie with mash. Number 5, cheese and onion pie. Number 4, steak and ale pie. Number 3, shepherd's pie. Number 2, steak pie. Number 1, banoffee pie. Oh no! I think, I think okay. I'm going to put it out there. Terrible top ten, yeah. uh, but don't care because it's still about pies. Yeah. What's your favourite pie? Uh, my favourite pie. I was asked this over the um, last week. Beef and ale. Oh, I like steak and kidney. Fine. Love kidney and a pie. Fine. Fine. It's good. It's good. You asked that question so you could say yours. Just checking. I wanted to know what yours was. <laughs> it didn't, sound, didn't sound like it. Oh no, I'm interested. <laughs> Bassos, what's yours? Go it's on. Broccoli. No, it would be like spinach and feta, that sort of that sort of area. No, like that, no, like I had not the pie, not the pie you can eat because no. you're plant based. What's your favourite pie? Shepherd's pie. Exactly. What's the one with lamb in it? Yeah, shepherd's pie. Shepherd's pie. Oh, cottage pie. Cottage pie then. No, I think shepherd's is lamb, isn't oh, it? Because it's a shepherd's pie. What's cottage beef. pie? Beef. Beef. Yeah. Is it oh, okay? Um, mine would be beef and ale with a phyllo pastry or, or shortcrust pastry. You can go either way with oh, that, can't you? Oh, and also I like the base. I don't like it when it's just a puff on the top. I like the underneath bit as well. Do you know that Megan Trainor song is all about the base? Mm. Yeah. Could you just sing that for us a sec? All about the base, like the base, no treble. <laughs> that one. I wish there's bass. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But when you sing it, you don't say it. Sing mm. it like you say it. Like the Proclaimers. Oh, no, the Proclaimers are the most... Procl- the Proclaimers are the most accented sounding... Musical artists, aren't they? Because they do sound a bit like they speak. Mm. Because you get um, Lulu, very transatlantic, considering she's Scottish. Yeah, um, it's true, though, isn't it? Yeah. Lots of people with different accents. You know, stride. Is that because they they grow up with rock and rolls, so they sing in a different accent too? I don't know. Snow Patrol keep it quite tangy with the accent. Tangy. God's <laughs> choice of words. It's just a great word day today. It's a wild weather day, and with wild weather comes great words. That is absolutely awesome. I love that. Thank I love you. that so much. <laughs> it's interesting, though, singing, isn't it, what it does to your brain, because a lot of people who, who have trouble uh, challenged by um, stammering, um, they don't stammer when they sing. Gareth Gates famously, famously, um, because it connects with a different part of your brain. So, isn't are we interesting? <laughs> yeah. I think we might be the most interesting things on the planet. And is it true that, that everybody can sing? I mean, obviously, I can't no. sing currently, but <laughs> there's, what... a, there's, there's people who could say, everybody yeah. can sing, just come here and we'll teach you how to sing, That's... and then you'll sing. Singing teachers say that. Why yeah. do you think they say that? Oh. Because? They want people to come and pay them for their services. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be so cynical as to say that out loud on the radio. No, of course, everybody can sing somehow. They will say, of course they can. I would imagine so. Um, who, who did the top ten pies? Research. Why did they do it? Virgin Radio UK. We did it. It's our top ten, and it's not very good. By the way, you didn't ask us. I should have looked at that before I read the story out and said what I said about it, shouldn't I? And I don't normally go back to what the source of the story is. Oh, this is all very serendipitous. By the way, why weren't we surveyed? We are Virgin Radio. 
you know, it's not that far to carry a clipboard to come and ask us yeah. what we think. We could do it on email. Where is the survey? Um, the nation's favourite pies have been revealed. Uh, I suppose it's good because, you know, if you do a survey that everybody sort of latches on, because already we've spent four or five minutes on it. What's great about that is that we didn't know who it's from, and so we can't now be accused of um, being partial mm. towards our own surveys. But that's a good one. I, I, I'm not happy with Banoffee Pie at number one. I'm not happy with that no. at all. I'm not also really not happy with um, Pie and Mash, uh-uh. top 10 British pies. That's not even an answer. It's our survey. We've got to be honest with each other here. Number six, pie and mash. Top ten British pies. That's not a that's not a British pie. It's a dish, isn't it? Yeah. It's a combination. It's a collaboration. It's a composition. Pasty, number seven. It's a pasty. It's not a pie. Definition of a pie. Somebody look it up quick. Melton Mowbray, you can have that one. Meat and potato. I, I like, um, what's the one I have in Scotland? Is it a butter pie? I can't remember. It's like, it's ridiculous. What? A butter pie? I think... What's it? It's uh, potatoes and onions. It's called a butter pie, though, isn't it? It's potatoes and onions. Lancashire butter pie. I I thought there was one up north, further north. Jane did a Jane did a top five northern foods yesterday, <laughs> and they were all basically brown, encased in brown and fried. <laughs> and she said, she said, I know, I know, but look, it's cold up north, all right. <laughs> Salt, oil and sugar, that's the thing, isn't it, about brown food? Yeah. It's got it all. Delicious. On the sauce, Heinz launches new creamy pasta sauce containing what? Begins with V, ends in Odka. Odka? Yeah. Heinz is adding some spirit to meal times by launching a creamy pasta sauce with a shot of vodka. Yeah? Kids being a bit too boisterous? (laughs) 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 Scientists at the Food Giant teamed up with drink experts at Absolute to create jars of tomato, basil, cheese and vodka. They took their inspiration from supermodel Gigi Hadid. Is that how you say it? I think so. Gigi Hadid. Uh, Now Heinz and Absolute are bringing their own version of the much-loved dish to the massive chef say vodka unlocks the flavours. We're way ahead on this one. It may have taken over 150 years of tomato expertise to launch our first pastels, but we're determined to innovate at the speed of social media trends. The results are absolutely delicious. The 350-gram jars, priced at £2.50, are expected to go on sale at Waitrose next month. I wonder if that's, there's a legal limit, age limit, to buying it. Oh, there must be. Really? Because well, There might not be any alcohol content <clears throat> in it. Oh, wow. Can of worms. Yeah. No, no. Jar of pasta yeah. sauce. Ted Lasso takes his mental health message to the White House. Jason Sudeikis is used to spreading good vibes as the chipper fictional football coach, Ted Lasso. He gets his ragtag bunch of players pumped after a dismal first half. And ends the game victorious. Such is the lasso effect and popularity of the award-winning comedy that Sadiqis and his co-stars found themselves at the White House where they discussed the importance of mental health with President Joe Biden after they'd woken him up. Did you know about yes. the origins of Ted Lasso? Ted Lasso, wasn't it a brake bumper or something somewhere? So it wasn't supposed to be a sitcom. It was just some ads to advertise the World Cup to Americans to yeah. show them what it was about. Yeah, right. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, but that's how The Simpsons started. Is it? Yeah, The Simpsons were the brake bumpers for the Tracy Ullman show. And then they started getting bigger ratings than Tracy's show, which was, by the way, which already had massive ratings. But he said, what are those brake bumpers? They're called brake bumpers when they sort of Brilliant. wrap around the ad break. Um, Ted Lasso, amazing. I watched two more episodes yesterday. I watched... The the episode where after the auction, the fundraising auction, where the ex of the new club owner turns up and oh, yeah. completely upstages a very yellow, very yellow behaviour. And um, after that, uh, I watched the episode after that, which is where um, the new, uh, the gorgeous, by the way, I mean, is there a better looking man than their Argentinian signing? 
Have you seen him? <laughs> oh my God, he's so beautiful. <laughs> like the most beautiful person ever. Football is life. Football is life. <laughs> and he's like a brilliant footballer. And he's in to teach Jamie Tart a lesson. If you haven't seen Ted Lasso, get it. It's, it's you know, Noah wafted in and wafted out last night. And I know it's just, Noah is in a period of pre-morning because he's just about to watch the last three episodes that are available ever, probably, of the American office. And I'm like, don't worry, you've got Ted Lasso to come. And he watched a bit that did, that wasn't quite Lasso-esque enough. And he j- it was the wrong 30 seconds for me to show him. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, he's mm, doing it. Lost and him. it's so office isn't it? It's so office I think, Ted Lasso. It's, it's absolutely awesome. And then... I watched the next episode, which is the one where they have to exercise the demons of the rubdown room yeah. by all putting oh, into, into the into the to the um, the the big oil burner, the, no, the brazier, yeah, the brazier, and they're yeah. going to burn it all in the middle of the pit. It's, anyway, nobody's got a clue what I'm talking about. It's just the best ever. Ford are bringing back the iconic Capri with a major change, and this is. Um, excuse me, <clears throat> I always get a frog in my throat just before coffee at twenty past seven. It's always exactly the same time. Uh, Ford is bringing back the Capri, but the gas guzzling coupe of old. We got an eco-friendly overhaul um, because it's going to be an EV and the revamped 1970s, 1980s classic dubbed the working man's Porsche for its style and affordability is due to go on sale next year. Uh, it's going to be 40 grand, not 16, 6.4 seconds. So in horsepower Capri, we'll have rear wheel drive. Um, four headlights to the front. I can't wait for this because what Ford have done is Ford, I don't know if you know this, but Ford, uh, they're doing great business. Their share price is a bit icky, uh, but then again, all share prices are, especially in North America. But um, they have this bunker in the middle of the desert in Arizona. And it's where they go to imagine. I can't really, they have this sort of crack team of Imagineers. And they go there and they are like sort of the Ben and Jerry's. They're like the Elon Musk's of Ford. And they're just left to do their own thing. And they, they don't really have a budget. And now and again, when they think they come up with something, they just ping it back to Ford headquarters and they either make it or they don't. And there's a lot of retroaction going on. And this was led by the GC40 and then the Ford Mustang. And then um, they 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 sort of uh, they adopted the 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 Mustang for things like your car, which is the 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 Mac E, the Mac E, which is the Mustang SUV, yeah. um, electric. And they're now having a look. They're going, well, hang on, a minute, what was really iconic? And it was the Ford Capri. Not so much in America, to be honest. This was a European here. But there's a picture of Harry Styles with his Ford Capri, original Ford Capri, three liter Ford Capri, because that was the top of the shop, the three liter Ford Capri. Um, and I think I used to own that car. That actual. I think so, yeah, because I did have one, and there are very few around of that spec in that colour with that combination because he's got the vinyl black roof and he's got... I think I, I think that's the car I owned because I've never seen another one and I had it restored for a TV show that we and we then gave it away on the TV show but the bloke who won it didn't want it and so somebody else bought it and he was a classic car guy who may well have sold classic cars in the end. He was a restorer and I think he was the kind of guy... Harry... Harry... Um, Harry... Um, Styles? Styles. I was going to say Harry Redknapp. <laughs> Because he was being mentioned in Ted Lasso last night because they were looking for a new manager. He said, Red, Redknapp's been on the phone three times today. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, he's the kind of guy that Harry uh, Styles would have gone to to buy a car. I love a Ford Capri. Sorry, I missed out the Ted Lasso at the White House chat. Here we go. You know, we encourage everyone, and, and this is a big theme of the show, is like to check in with your, you know, your neighbour, your co-worker, your friends, your family, uh, and, and ask how they're doing. And, and listen. Sincerely, you know, I mean, you all ask questions for a living, but you also listen for a living. So, you know, who am I preaching to? The choir, that is. Okay. Um, and look, and while, look, 
while it's easier said than done, I, I, we also have to know that we shouldn't be afraid to ask for help ourselves. And that, that does take a lot, especially when it's something that has such a, a negative stigma to it, such as mental health. And it, it doesn't need to be that way. And if you can ask for that help from a professional, fantastic. If it needs to be a loved one, equally as good in a lot of ways. Because sometimes you just need to let that pressure, that, that pressure valve release. It was good. It was good. But I would have preferred him to do it as Ted Lasso. <laughs> he should have done that. Because it would still have worked. And it would have, do. <laughs> it would have gone more viral. The ultimate Ted talk. Ted Lasso talk. Why didn't he do it as Ted Lasso? Oh... Such a missed opportunity. Mm. Overwhelmed by the fact that he was in the White House. I'm in the White House. I'm in the White House. Because who did that? Who, James Corden's character did that, didn't he? He did that for real, didn't he? To the England team, didn't he go? Oh, yeah. When Smith, he was Smith, Smithy went into the England team. James yeah. Corden could have gone, you know, I, I, I play Smithy, you know, and Smithy would say this, Smithy would say that, which is basically what Jason did there. By the way, it's great what Jason did. Don't get me wrong. It's amazing that he spoke out about mental health at the White House in front of Sleepy Joe, who may have been awake for some of it. Who knows? But, um, but as Ted Lasso, so it would have landed. Yeah. It would have gone mad, wouldn't it? I nearly said mental. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> but I just did. <laughs> no, so Smithy went in to talk to the England team, didn't he? To give it was a, a comic relief thing. or um, Yes, I think it was a comic yeah. relief thing just before the World Cup. Yeah. And he gave the team talk as Smithy. Yeah, Fantastic. And obviously the England players just loved it. Yeah. Engineers have made a cheesecake with a 3D printer. Who doesn't want to hear more about that story? <laughs> yes, please. Actual cheesecake. Actual edible cheesecake. Yeah. Vasa says he's given up sugar for Lent. I'd correct? Mm. Yep. Okay. How do you define sugar? I define how do you sugar. Re- how do you define or how do you refine sugar? <laughs> Both. I'm not sure. Come on. You're going, to, you're going to hit me with a cheesecake that I had on Sunday thing. No, I'm not. But, I, you know, I had no idea about that. Um, I went out for <laughs> I went out for a day with Emily, and we saw a, she, she's a she's like the cheesecake queen. She she has cheesecake Thursdays. She and her friends they mark cheesecakes out of ten. It's a thing, right? And so we 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 went out of our Vietnamese food, and we thought we well, was pudding. And then opposite there was a, a Filipino bakery in Soho. And we thought, well, let's go in there. Yes. And then we bought a cheesecake, and obviously I had to break my no sugar thing for the cheesecake, and it was just, uh, the best thing ever. So you don't give up sugar for Lent? No, I give up chocolate for Lent. Right. I give up sugar generally in life. OK. I with see. the odd exception. But didn't, doesn't this stem from you giving up chocolate for Lent? Doesn't it stem from when you had chocolate with sugar in it? Mm-hmm. OK, but now you still give up chocolate for Lent, even though it's not bad for you? It's a family thing. And then we come back, like Mary will come back from school and saying, it was brownies for pudding at yeah. school today. And I got it and it was right near my mouth before I remembered that we all give up flipping chocolate for Lent. And I had to put it down and give it to my friend. Have you, you, know? see, have you seen the video of the older lady on who, who is trying to give up chocolate and adopt a healthier greener diet have you ever have you seen that so she has this massive bowl mass i mean it's huge it's comedically huge bowl of lettuce leaves right have you seen it no i like it already it's so funny it's so funny right so this this is it's the biggest bowl i've ever seen yeah it's this massive bowl Uh, I don't know where they got it from and it's full of lettuce leaves there is a mountain of lettuce leaves right and so she so she takes the lettuce leaf with her left hand. She eats the lettuce leaf, right? And in her right hand, she has an unwrapped bar of chocolate. Yep. Okay. So for every lettuce leaf she eats, she smells the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So you know the Physical 100, which we raved about? Yes. Yeah. Uh, apparently there's a new one. It's not the Physical 100. There's a new show. It's not It's not the same, but it, apparently it's, it's as, as crazy and as compelling. It's not out of Korea. It's out of Japan. And it's called Run for the Money. And Kedge has seen it. And we're going to watch the trail live on the air in a bit. And Kedge is going to tell us all about it. It's, it sounds Brilliant. fantastic. All right, 3D printing. Paul in Billericke. He says... Here we go. I have a daily multivitamin that is made by 3D printing. <laughs> I love it. It's called Nourish Shed. You choose your vitamins and what flavour you want, and then it comes in the post. Um, this is a cheesecake that has been 3D printed. It's in it's um, in the news on the news agenda by CNN. Engineers at Columbia University whipped up a seven-ingredient vegan cheesecake that was assembled and cooked entirely by a 3D printing machine. And in a new innovation, latest technology, according to a study published Tuesday in the journal NPJ Science of Food, because 3D printers they're a bit like Prime in a way. Because they, they, they come and they go, news-wise, don't mm. they? Yeah. Because, you know, they were going to be the future. You know, I know, I know, you know, there was that thing about, you know, you can order wine glasses, they'll have them 3D printed. Or you can, if you've got a 3D printer, you can buy wine glasses online and they will send the algorithm through to your printer that will then print you your wine glasses that you pay somebody else for that isn't anywhere near your house. I don't understand. I don't, and that sort of came and it went. Um, and Ferrari um, at Maranello, at the headquarters, you can 3D print a, a car. So you can go in and you can order a bespoke car, and you can you can you can literally press print, and it will pr- this honestly. I've Including done, so, the tires. No, the body shell. Okay. And um, the you you press print, and you you stand there, and this car comes out. How long does it take, though? Not very long. Oh. Uh, I don't I don't know precisely, but it begins to happen straight away. <laughs> the point is, it's incredible. It is incredible, no matter which way you look at it. Um, but obviously, it's kind of a bit quiet on the old, how oh, do we get some more PR for the 3D printing world? I'm not, by the way, I know that it's really, you know, great things are being done, aren't they? So like um, hip replacements and things like that, you know, some amazing things, especially for our well-being and the well-being of our furry and feathery friends. I know that th- things are 3D printed that are really, really important, but I thought we were all going to have one in our living room. You know, that's what we all sort of thought, wasn't yeah, it, for a while? we all have yeah. printers. We, we should, you know, we should upgrade to the 3D have version. You, have you seen? Have you seen? I'll get back to 3D printing in a second. I know it's time for the headline. Have you, have you witnessed recently, right, mm. an office building anywhere, right, being emptied, decanted, because they're either going to knock it down or refurb it? Have you seen that recently happening no. anywhere? Because it happens a lot in London. And because I travel across London, I know you travel around London, Vassos, and, and you travel to London, Rachel, but I go... I go right through London every day, don't I? From here to Baker Street. And I go different ways. So there's always a building being knocked down and something else being built in its place, or or several. So I see a a lot of these building clearances going on. And when they start to wheel out the photocopiers... It's like they're wheeling out the pyramids. (laughs) They're so... To see a photocopy, they go... That's so much machinery for a piece of paper. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they were the they were the future, weren't they? If you had a new photocopper in the office, you know, like a grey, a cool grey one with a bit of a digital screen, as opposed to one a big white one without a digital screen that clunked and sounded more like an MRI than anything else that you might find in the office. But now you see them, and you go, "Where are you going to put that?" <laughs> and then they bring out another and another and another. You think these were the biggest things. These were has, has anything bigger ever been? Produced to create anything smaller. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You, what you get is you get a, a, a piece of a, usually A4, A3, because they, they could do them all. You know, by the way, anybody ever seen A3 being printed, reprinted? 
No, you haven't, have you? Maybe like for an architect's firm. Maybe, but have you ever seen it? No. No. So you have this massive machine and all you get at the end of it is a piece of A4 paper with something printed. What went on? Is there somebody in there? Is that why they were so big? <laughs> Could they not figure out the technology? Was it actually somebody in there typed out very quickly? <laughs> and we still haven't done the pyramids, speaking of. No, I know. We'll always have the pyramids, Vassos. Uh, when Vassos and I do our pyramid chat, you know that's the last show. <laughs> Because we know how they were made. Just mm. saying. Hashtag just saying. So no, this maybe the people with the, in charge of the 3D printer PR said, look, you've got to do a chocolate cake. Then people re-engage with this. A cheesecake. <laughs> Especially in the middle of Lent when everybody's craving a bit of sugar. <laughs> anyway, we have engaged in it. And it's quite nice. Piggy Blinders creator launches construction of new film and TV studio by order of the Piggy Blinders creator Stephen Knight. He's been on the show. He's amazing. Uh, construction has begun on his new multi-million pound TV and film studio in Birmingham. The studio is designed to put the city on the media map, create over 700 jobs and 30 million pounds to the local economy and house Knight's new Scar Music BBC drama This Town as well as the Piggy Blinders film. Is this going to be... Because they talked about the Piggy Blinders land, didn't they, yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Do you think this is where it's going to be i think i think it sounds like it doesn't it well they were talking about a theme park which would need its own sort of acreage i suppose unless it was a studio's tour which is different i i don't know what do you think because you, you've got your <laughs> come, come on what is it called like you, when you look for locations what is the phrase skype location skype location skype you're yeah. scouting currently <laughs> you are you're that's so funny <laughs> Currently, the Taskmaster Massive are scouting for locations for the Taskmaster theme park. Who doesn't want to go? Look, it worked for Peppa Pig. Yeah, but Peppa can do it. Just off the M27 or wherever it is. Yeah. You know, we all go there. Poulton Park, you've been there. You lived there for a while, didn't you? I did. We spent many happy summers there. Oh, Peppa. <laughs> Mary did a promotional video for them. Yes, she did. Well, was she paired? Well, yeah. Sort of. <laughs> well, I was. <laughs> You weren't paid, you got freebie, didn't you? Something. Like a contra deal. Something like that, wasn't it? Um, So how's it going, by the way? (laughs) Have you found the right valley yet? (laughs) No! What do you need? need So you need a valley, you need plenty... See, here's the deal. My my friend, you know him, Super Ian, uh, he owns Chewton Glen and all these other kind of amazing places. So he says it's all about the chimney pots for him. So you need somewhere that has what you want, but is surrounded by enough chimney pots, because even though you want it to be a destination location yeah, uh, or, or sort of business, you still need the local heat to 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 be around for things like afternoon teas and Sunday dinners to keep the catering going. So we're trying to do a deal at the moment for a dining disco with a, a certain hotel, you know, and we've we've sort of done a deal on all the rooms. Um um, and then they came back to us and said, look, obviously we need to gonna add something for the catering, right? And then, so one could say, one could be forgiven for saying, for reacting as opposed to responding, hang on a minute, we're gonna take the whole hotel and we want all the rooms at retail, we don't want a discount, we're not even asking for a discount, you got a guaranteed full house that weekend. Yeah, but of course, a lot of people who would come usually um, would would spend some money at the bar there and they would book dinner there. Uh, breakfast is included, but they might book lunch there or an afternoon tea, which is great business for hotels. And afternoon teas are very mm, popular, aren't they? Off. With a glass of Prosecco or whatever it is. But our gang will be going to the dining disco where we'll be providing the catering. So the hotel's going to miss out on all that. So they've got to factor all that in, you know. Um, can't remember what I was talking about this. Where are we going with this? Um, t- Rachel looking <laughs> for a valley. Yeah, I've, I know. There's a bit in the middle. I don't know how we got to this bit. Theme park? <laughs> no, I 
like it. I know it's all like you're you the asked only, me. You're you, were skiting, you were skiting hotel I know, locations I know and you asked me how we were I going skiting. Pe- Peaky blinders. No, no, no. Let's get it. It's all good. <laughs> Text in. What was that about? 8722. <laughs> Text in. What is our show currently about? Because the host can't remember. Um, anyway, catch us here. Kedge is here to save the day. So we talked about the physical 100 and some of you watched it. I don't know how many people, how many of you watched it? Uh, with some people, uh, let us know that they're watching the physical 100. You can still watch it. It's on Netflix if you haven't seen it. It is awesome. I don't get why the whole world hasn't been talking about it. But Kedge and I, we loved it, didn't we? Yeah, I loved it. Okay, my wife Tash loved it. Some other people that I I know and sort of lie with in my taste absolutely ate it up. It was the best of human beings on telly in a silly game show, wasn't it? That's what yeah. it was. And, and what you said about the editing as well. Yeah. It was always positive editing, wasn't it? Which I think that was game changing for telly. Yeah, it's like you know, it's like a comedian because you you can you can have a potty mouth as a comedian, but once you've said certain words, then you have to say more extreme words to have the same effect. You know, and it's in a way, it's like telling jokes during a dinner party. You know, so if you're having a lovely dinner party with great conversation, and somebody chooses to tell a joke, you know, that you got to think about that because. Basically, you're saying now, everybody listen to me, um, this is a joke. Yeah, well, before that, the spontaneous conversation, which can be much funnier anyway and is inclusive of everyone. And then somebody tells a joke and it might be really funny because they're an amazing joke teller. But then somebody needs to tell another joke and they have to tell it as well. Um, and it's got to be half as long because now we're in the joke, wor- the joke world and it's got to be twice as funny to be as funny and as entertaining. And where do you go from there? And the thing about comedians is, you know, and co- all comics will say this. Well, comics that I know will say this. The, the, the genius of Jerry Seinfeld is that he's a clean comic. So he's clean and he's st- he, he is still the funniest comedian. He's the best comedian on the planet and he's completely clean. And that is an art form in itself. And the thing about the physical 100 is, of course, they could have gone against each other. You know, they were rivals, but they were nothing but supportive of each other. And in the end, somebody did win, but everybody won. And if you're watching it, you were so uplifted by it, weren't you? Yeah, uplifted. And you didn't really care who won. Do you know what I mean? You just wanted them all to do really well. Well, I tried to tell Vasus that I didn't care who won because he said, oh, you must have had a favourite. No, you watched it. I watched it. Did you have a favourite? I didn't have a favourite. I didn't have a favourite either. Oh, Oh, come on. You must have done. (laughs) Mary and I are watching it. We've got favourites. Okay, Mary's eight. All right, um, so <laughs> what's the new show we're going to watch? Uh, it's called Run for the Money. It just came up as a, as a suggestion. It's just great. And it's wild. I love the, you know, non-sort of European shows go for the, the sort of um, one-stop shop sell, don't they? You know, yeah. it's, like, it's like our friend Mark Wogan who has his pizza place. You know, do one thing well. Home slice. It's it's slices of pizza it's done brilliantly. These are single ideas, just 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 magnified, aren't they? So so this is run for the money. Basically, twenty nine well known people from Japan. Everybody in Japan recognises these people. Run for money around various locations. It's, it's like a little village. It's like a theme park kind yeah, of village again. Yeah, I think it looks like. By a theme the way, Taskmaster looking for a Japanese. <laughs> this is the place. Okay. Because you can downtime it, can't you? You know, it's like it's like when Strictly weren't using their sound studio; somebody oh, else yeah. used it. It reduced the cost of go. things. You know, it's very sort of economically sound. Um, and so they're running around this theme park. Twenty nine yep. of, of, of twenty nine Japanese celebs. celebs. Correct. And what happens next? So they just it, and this is very quick. I like the physical one hundred where it took a long time to get into it. This is you're straight into the show. So literally, they just told right, you're running. Too long for some people. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you're, literally, they've got you've got the counter sixty seconds. So they've got right here. You go. You've got to start running every second. The money goes up. They have to try and last as long as they can. Uh, and they've got thirty silently dressed sort of um, hunters after them. And they're just oh, it's brilliant. And they just they got they're just going to run and they're going to keep running. It's so good, man. Are you what? Have you seen the trail? No. Nope. You're supposed to be watching it now. Let's put the trail on. No, it's too late now because we talked oh. about it. We're supposed to be watching it whilst. Remember what we said before? Do you remember? Yes. Right, so but on Kedge's computer, where we don't have the password. I've got the password, oh, but I, I thought late. we were talking Moment's about gone. valleys. Anyway, the listeners have texted. Thank you, Kedge, you're awesome. Thank uh, you. Watch the trail, it's brilliant. It makes you want to watch the show. Uh, loads of people are texting in on what we were talking about. It was chimney pots. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and none yeah. of us can oh, remember. Yeah. Chimney pots. Chimney pots. Chimney... Thank you, Kedge. You're awesome. Bye, Kedge. Bye, Kedge. He's, he's the best. He's so Bye, busy. All, he's so busy all the yeah. time. Do you know how I know, he, he is ridiculous. He is you ridiculous. Know Some do? people look like five years younger than they are. Should we... He's like 15. I would, say, I would say he looks half his age. Mm. Honestly, I would say he looks half his age. Yeah, I think he looks about a third of his age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous, he isn't it? He could definitely get ID'd. Also, he's, he's... I know Ked's quite well. I don't know him very well. I know him probably a bit better than you know him, I would imagine. It's not competition. No, no, but I'm just trying to say... Oh, uh, I want to know if you know him better than I do, because I want to, um, I'm about to say something about we have, him. We have football bands by the together. Way, by the way, it wasn't a competition, Vassos. It was a conversation. <laughs> but I, you were thinking, is this a competition? Well, you, you did that comparison. Um, <laughs> Kedge, who do you know better? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't who do you know better. It's who, you don't even listen. He doesn't, he doesn't want he doesn't want to say. Who knows you better? Same, the same. Who do you think you know? It's even a... Oh... We have football bants quite a lot and on WhatsApp. Oh, do you? Okay. In that case, you may know him better than I do. But like you say, it's not a competition. Exactly. Thank you for that whole minute of nonsense. Um, <laughs> I can't remember what I was saying. Forget it. doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, hurtling towards Easter, many bank holidays. You could sort of lose count of the bank holidays coming up because uh, you've got your Good Friday, you've got your Easter Monday, and that's in April this year. And Easter is the most changeable of all feasts. Literally, isn't it? And then you have three bank holidays in May, don't I you? I know. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. And one of them is Motorhead Day. Yeah, the 8th of May. The 8th of May. See, who, who says? Who says? No, there are some people that can't sing. <laughs> exactly. Shall I try again? What? Should you want me to try again? Some was that are. awful? I know, it's fine. I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. We can do better than fine, though. I don't think you can, but off you go. <clears throat> That's your guide track. Okay. The 8th of May. The 8th of May. What's all this the 8th the, of this May. I'm hand? trying to get in what character. I'm getting in character. You're still cold from the <laughs> serpentine. That's the thing. You know, open water swimming, cold showering, supposed to wake you up in the morning. It, it clearly does. But then, because it's so cold, what Vassas does in the morning, I have like a two-minute cold shower. I do it every day. There is not a day goes by when I don't have a two-minute cold shower. Weekends, Christmas Day, it doesn't matter. I love it. I actually love it. I really enjoy it now. Really, I'm over the... People said to me, you'll never get used to it. That's the, that's the amazing, challenging thing about it. You never get used to it. You do. Mm. Um, but I would imagine you don't get used to the same time. But he spends the next three and a half hours just trying to warm up. <laughs> I come here for a warm. That's the thing. That's <laughs> that why, saying something that's for this why his vibration is so strange. <laughs> Yeah, by the way, you picked the wrong street to get warm in. Yes, you? exactly. The 8th of May. Uh, yeah, no, the kids are so excited, aren't they? Because they've got two... Most kids have got two weeks for Easter, I think. So um, my kids... We have two weeks for Easter. My grandchildren have two weeks for Easter. They have one overlapping week because they're going a week later. 
So the second week of my kids' um, holidays is the first week of my grandkids' holidays, which still means we have a chance to get together. That's lovely. And it's the same week that the happy pair are in town, Stephen and David. Stephen and David. David, come on, David, let's make some more kombucha. <laughs> oh, come on, Stephen, we made like eight gallons. It's only, it's only eight o'clock. Oh, come on, let's make some more kombucha. Come on, let's do it. And they're bringing their dad over and their other brother. I didn't know there was another brother. Another uh, pair brother. And they're bringing a doctor. They sent me a little No, he's message. already here. He's already here. Is he? Zach Bush is already here. He's here this week and they're here on the 4th to the 6th of April. Um, and uh, I think they're coming on the show. Very excited. Zach Bush is around. I don't know. Um, it's all very... It is good though, isn't it? Mm. It is... I love... I love the happy pair. They're going to be all over Carfest this year, which is great. Ten coolest things that have been uh, printed. Um, here we go. From ten down to one. Edible printings. In 2015, 3D Systems announced the ChefJet Pro 3D, a 3D printing device that was able to 3D print sweets and candy treats. Number nine, bioprinting, replacing body parts, which I alluded to before. Number eight, 3D printed pizza. I mean, sort of, I mean, the thing is, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah, but the, these are probably stepping stones to something that really is the point. So, I, you know, I'm not going to say that um, too, too loudly. Number seven, personalised 3D printed medication. Okay, that's already good. I've already mentioned that today. Th uh, number six, unique 3D printed prosthetics. Very important. Yes. Of course. Of course, very, very important. Number five, the world's first 3D printed ship propeller. That's quite nice, isn't it? Oh, yes. Propellers are good anyway. People have them on their walls, don't they? People have propellers on their walls, and I can understand why. It's the it's the sort of it's the angle of the blades, isn't it? Because it's very carefully worked out yeah. by clever people. Very very clever. Um, number four, the XCV Yo-Yo car. And there's the car there, three D printed. And it looks like a little smart car. It does look exactly like a little smart car. Number three, the three D printed guitar. It's pretty cool, red, white, and blue. Yes, quite Britsy. Nice. nice. Uh, number two, the world's longest three D printed bridge. Number one, the two level villa, an actual house <laughs> and it's like a chateau-esque kind of french sort of britannic villa that's a house somebody lives in that and it was printed by a 3d how big was the printer yeah i was wondering what's going to beat a two-tier bridge but a house pretty much does it yeah a Chinese company, Hosang uh, Tengda, managed to build a two-storey villa in just 45 days. They developed dedicated hardware, but also developed an innovative technique completing 3D printing. The thing about this is, though, it is completely usurped by the ha the the houses that unfold in front of you. I know, they are they extraordinary. Are, oh, seriously, jump onto InstaNow or YouTube, and I don't know what you'd search. You'd search unfolding houses or self-erecting mm. houses. They arrive, they're not on a trailer, they are the trailer, you press the button, they unfold within 10 minutes. It's an actual house. Furnished house. Furnished. Ridiculous <laughs> happening now. This could be the beginning of the end for the human race. Yeah. We've just got far too clever for our own good. We've peaked, yeah. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Now on to our guest. Fast us over to you. Ah, oh, 
our next guest makes sure Vogue is on Vogue. People queue for GQ and get hired at Wired. He's the boss of Condé Nast, whose book The Imagination Muscle is out now. So amid the hustle and bustle, let's train that muscle. We feel the need, the need for Albert Reed. Good morning, Albert. Good morning. So nice to be here. You've got crisps all over my book. I know. Way. I can only apologise. Brush them off. Thankfully, carefully. there are a few copies. Um, Albert, yes. congratulations. What a great book. Thank you. You're a busy man. You don't really have time to do this. Uh, what moved you to writing this book so we can all benefit by reading it? Well, I, I work in the business of ideas. Condé Nast is, an, is a company that thrives on ideas, and we've got to keep ideas coming. And if you sell something, you've got to know where, you've got to regard the supply. So if you're selling bananas, you've got to know where the bananas come from. So with us, we need to know where the ideas are coming from. And so what I what struck me really about ideas and the imagination is we see it as something that is a fixed quantity, something that's bestowed on us from above. You know, it's like the Latin word inspirare, inspiration. We're breathed on by the gods. And what my line in this book is, is actually the imagination is something you can work at. You know, we, we pay attention to our physical health by going to the gym and going running. We pay attention to our emotional well-being, but we don't really pay attention to our imaginative health. And that's what this book is doing. It's saying you can be more imaginative and here are some ideas of how you can do it. Now that for me is a exceptionally interesting because you know the world I live in I am sort of I am sent to the imagination gym every day and I love it and it is a muscle that you can flex and you can improve and you get match fit and if I'm off for four weeks in the summer I come back and I'm a, I'm a little less you yes. know uh, palpably a little less imaginative tell us about for people who don't uh, you know aren't fortunate enough to, to do this anyway as part of or be challenged by this and have to come up with ideas every day tell us about the various imagination exercises and gym you can you can recommend well well, the, the obvious ones that we all know about are having ideas in the shower. So mm. someone like Aaron Sorkin, who writes The West Wing, he has five, sure, he's writing, he has five showers a day because he keeps his mind going. <laughs> it, it loosens the mind. It has this kind of loosening quality, having a shower, going for a long walk, something invented by the romantic poets. They realise that if you walk, you have ideas. You say that's the best place to have ideas. That's or one, one, of the, one of the many places to right. have ideas. Okay. But there are other areas too, which I write about in The Imagination Muscle, that, Vladimir Nabokov, the writer, used to have his ideas for novels in the in the in a car after a long journey. So what I sometimes do at the end of a long journey is I sit in the car and you get this funny feeling of release of ideas. And it's the same when you leave parties, when you come out of a party on your own, your own, walking down a cold street. Your your mind floods with ideas. And this is something that Diderot, the the Enlightenment writer, realised with the l'esprit de l'escalier, the spirit of the staircase, when you leave a party and you're stumped for that clever riposte and you go down the stairs and you go, oh, I could have, if only I thought of that earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're all, and then there's another idea, story. Regret party regret. Exactly. Yeah. And there's another story I love, which is Schiller, the, the German writer who, who used to keep a drawer full of rotten apples in his, in his study. So he had this smell of rotten apples, this gas called ethylene that comes out from rotten apples when, 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 as they're decomposing, uh, inspired him to write. And I tried this when I was writing my book. I, kept, I went to Sainsbury's and bought a bag of rotten apples and after about six weeks, I breathed in, and actually, it was disgusting. <laughs> you, you talk about it in the book. That yeah. I found that really interesting. So you, you so you it didn't you have, work for me, but you know there are but you, took, you, you took a good couple of sniffs, though, didn't you? I did, yeah, and I had to go to open the window, and I was, I was nearly sick. <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out also the Delphic Oracle, you know, back in ancient yep. Greece, they now think that, that there was this ethylene gas was naturally emitting through the ge ge geological formations. So. And that's why she went into this trance-like ability to have have uh, do prophecies. Yeah. yeah. So. There are all sorts of interesting ideas about how we imagine. Talk about some of the um, the sort of superstars, the rock stars of imagining. Let's talk about uh, Da Vinci, first of all, Picasso, Archimedes, yeah. off you go. Yeah, well, Picasso is interesting because 
one of the things I talk about in the book is originality. And, and we think of Picasso as being this great original artist. And his famous, not his famous painting, Les Demoiselles d'Avignon, was, was a, was the, set the course of modern art in the 20th century. But actually what he did very cleverly is he picked ideas from artists like El Greco and Cezanne, and then he went to this museum of African artefacts, and he, he combined ideas in a new way. And really one of the themes of the imagination muscle is how you widen your imaginative palette and how you draw ideas in. The other person I talk about is... is Hamilton and Lin-Manuel Miranda. What his genius for me is not just that he composed composed Hamilton and put Hamilton on stage, but he had this this combination of ideas from different sources. He knew about, you know, Eminem and Tupac Shaker and the rap and the hip hop, but he also knew about the conventions of musical theatre from Andrew Lloyd Webber's Jesus Christ Superstar, and he had read this big thick biography of a relatively obscure founding father. Yeah. So you have this mixture of ideas. And really, I think the, the lesson from this and from Picasso is draw your sources from all sorts of different places and bring them together and read what no one else is reading, because that will make your mind an original mind, a fresh mind, and it'll keep you stimulated and keep you happy and keep you alive. Yeah, and uh, I suppose a lot of people take... Well, I was saying before, before you arrived on the on the radio about the fact people say, oh, you're so creative. This, and I'm not, I'm quite a plus, is a, I'm quite a plus and minus guy, but you talk about you know, whether it's uh, it's uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda or it's Picasso or it's Da Vinci. And, you know, you you don't have to be a laissez-faire sort of hippie-chic sort of hermit to be imaginative. And some of the best are, some of the best ever imagineers are creative slash scientists, aren't they? And Da Vinci, there's no better example of that than Da Vinci. So, and, and you talk about Lin-Manuel Miranda there and about the fact that he's a student of detail... And then you take all the detail, all the sort of tools in your, in your, your toolkit or the, the weapons in your armoury or the bullets in the magazines, and yeah. you go, right, what can I do with these? And it's actually a lot easier than some people think, as long as you do the groundwork. Completely. And I think the, the problem with modern life is we, we all get into our trenches. We all have our fields of expertise, yeah. and social media drives us as well. We all become very, very good at one very, very small thing. And what was interesting about in history is people like da Vinci being the, the prime example, is people saw across these trenches. And even in the 19th century, poets also were interested in science, and scientists were also interested in, in the arts. So you had people like Alexander Fleming, who discovered penicillin, in, and he won the Nobel Prize uh, he was also an artist, and he was a member of the Chelsea Arts Club. He wasn't a very good artist, but but there's also Richard Feynman, the, the particle physicist in 1965, winning the Nobel Prize. There's a tendency for Nobel Prize winners in science to have a side interest in the arts. And I find that very, very interesting, that, that scientists who have this other part of their brain being developed and being worked on are better scientists as a result of that. And I find that really fascinating. And and they also are better at explaining science and talking about science. And they just bring a different perspective to science. And I think that's the lesson we all have to learn, is, is we should all widen our perspectives, read, read things that we don't necessarily wouldn't necessarily normally read. Read differently. Don't read one book and then yeah, another yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. Read different books at the same time. So there are lots of ideas from history which I think need to be Re revived and brought to the fore. Yeah, and Feynman talks, and his fellow um, quantum phys physicists, they talk about the elegance of formulae, don't they? Yes, exactly. You know, there's a beauty in There's maths. a beauty in it, yeah. you know, and that's the same thing, because a lot of, um, you know, a lot of melodies in music, they're mathematical equations. You know, you exactly. you you, half, you go half down the scale and that note fits the one that was double, and, you know, there's, there's the crotchets and the quarters, and, uh, you know, a fretboard on a guitar or a, 
a keyboard, you know, on a piano or on a, some kind of other percussive instrument. You know, it, it, it's it's all numbers. It's all that there are patterns to it. There are shapes to it, you know, and with that, there's a harmony to it and there's a smoothness to it. And it's that that makes us feel at ease, you know, and if we can't create it, at least we can appreciate the created. If you can talk a little bit more about Da Vinci, who I'm fascinated by, about, you know, he, he was so fascinated, wasn't he, by the anatomy of things that he was trying to draw, that he, he often dissected cadavers up to 30 in his lifetime? Yes, he did. And he did it while he was painting. So while he was painting the Mona Lisa, he would paint it during the day. And then in the, in the, in the, at night, he would go to this mortuary in Florence and he'd, and he'd dissect cadavers. And he would study very, very closely the, the, the way a smile works and the way that the curve of a nostril is, 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 is delineated. So he, he, was, he, he took his scientific learnings and really took art to the next level by, by really understanding the, 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 the muscular makeup of the face. And, and, yeah, and that's why you, one of the theories is that's why this, um, the, the Mona Lisa smiles is so, so alluring. Yes, exactly. And, and, and mystifying and mystical. Yes, he brought a clinical scientist's eye to, 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 to the artist's Almost craft. beneath the skin, almost. Exactly, yes. And he would do it with birds and with... He'd study the swirls of water and the cascades of hair, and he, he was fascinated by form and shape, and he saw the, the world and the human being being the same thing, you know, the, the, the water being the blood, the flow, and the, you know, the, 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 Ocean, the rocks, the oceans being, yeah. being, being, being our, our bodies and part of our bodies. So he was a deeply fascinating man, and really what he was a very, very brilliant at it was observing. He was, yeah. a, he was a, the, the, the ultimate observer, and he would observe things which seemed to have no particular relevance, like he would study the tongue of a woodpecker, and this for him was just deeply interesting in itself. He didn't, he didn't see any, you know, he just did it because it was fascinating. What did he have? I mean, there was no Netflix then, I suppose. Yeah, well, that, 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 was, that was one issue. Yeah. Yeah, is it also true that he wrote left-handed and in reverse to yes. protect his ideas? He did, how, yes. how do you do? How do you form that skill? Well, it, he was a very, very brilliant man. And he did it partly because some of the ideas were quite radical. Like the sun does not move. You know, the, these were ideas which were... And he was were way ahead of... Way him. ahead of Galileo and all these people. Yeah. And, and, and so he was... He was some, of his, some of his ideas were, were radical. And, and he was... But also you get what I love about his, his... What you could call a commonplace book where you're noting down observations, but he's also got the shopping list and, the, you know, the, the, the little doodles in the yeah, margin. Yeah. So you, you, find, you see his mind working... In all these different ways, you know, the, the, the trivial, the serious, the, the obscure, the, the relevant. He's designing canals for Milan one moment, then he's studying the, you know, the, the effect of light on trees the next. So there's, there's this extraordinary, you know, the Renaissance mind is... is, is and his... he, he's allowed himself access to all his powers via no distractions, hasn't he? Because you yes. get the sense of there's like sort of ten of him in his own orchestra yes. Yes. helping him to do all these things. So, for example, his side notes are like the most profound prose in the world. The sketches that accompany these, which are his, effectively, his doodles are like masterpieces. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous. Yes, it is. And it's not fair. <laughs> yes, and as I said in my in, in, in the imagination muscle, that one one could have equally two men living at the same time: Da Vinci, the, the artist, and Da Vinci, the scientist, and yeah. they could both be equally brilliant and men we would still revere for the for the, for the science and for the art as two. Yeah. So, but they have to be the, one, the same person. And this was I the miracle. There's probably a poet in there as well. And yes, absolutely. There's, 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 there's everything in there. So um, it doesn't mean that these. Folks don't fall out with each other, the great Imagineers. So W.H. Auden once said of Wordsworth, um, uh, poetry never changed anything. Is that right? Uh, yes, he did, yes. And, of course, in the end... And Wordsworth um, changed the world in the sense that he created the... He was the, the... He started the idea of national parks. Yeah. 
So the Lake District, as we know it today, is really a creation of Wordsworth's. And that's been transported as an idea all across the world. Yes, and the national parks in the US really originate from, from Wordsworth's poetry, which is a, I, I find a fascinating I, idea. This book is this book is fascinating. This book, how, well, thank you. Was it, a, was it a heavy, not a heavy burden, but was, was it, there were a lot of heavy lifting in writing it? Did, there was it a take... certain amount of heavy lifting, but, I, but it was a joy to do. And I did it over a, I did it over a, you know, a protracted period of time. And, and, and I, as I did it, I discovered more and more things. And, you know, there are so many other things that we could touch on in this book that, that I, I loved writing about. And the whole notion of originality and, you know, the, the idea that Star Wars, we think of Star Wars as being most, this most original film and actually C-3PO and R2-D2 are based on these two Japanese peasants in, the, in, the, in this film by Kurosawa. And Lucas took the whole idea of that and then saving a princess and f fighting an yeah, evil and empire. Yeah, it's a classic double act. And it's a classic double act. Yeah, and the, 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 tall, what the tall one complains more than the small it's one. It's the odd couple. It's the odd couple, it, yes. It's Statler and Waldorf, it's yes. Laurel and Hardy, so it's, I think it's the, little the idea and large. When we're embarking on a creative project, we have to be wholly original is, is, is a misguided one. We need to find something to drape our tender idea on and then over time we can you know we can move away from the original crutch yeah, and, and cogitate on it and you know give the power of holding a thought again people become too impatient when it comes to imagination if they haven't dealt in it you know we can you can sit on something for a long time you know as long as it's there Bertrand Russell said didn't he you know you feed something in into the subconscious you have to feed it in with passion you can't be lazy mm. you know you input it and as long as you input it properly with commitment passion sincerity authenticity and some kind of depth of feeling it will begin to be sorted out for you by the brilliance that you don't realise you have. Yes, and the subconscious is another very, very important part of the imagination and how we allow the subconscious to do the imagination's work. And I think a lot of what we deem as the, the, the spaces in our lives when we have ideas is when we find that moment in the day or, you know, I find the waking moment, the first yep. hour of the day before you listen to the news, before you check your emails, that's when you have the ideas because you're still half in touch with your unconscious. You're half, the dreams are still there a little bit, so you're just coming out of that phase and there's this fertile territory oh, the best. between sleep and awake wakefulness. And it does work if you have a studio of sorts. You do have a different brain when you you enter the arch of whatever your studio is, whether it's your laptop, whether it's your car, if you're you know, a professional yes. car. You have a different brain that is only accessible when you are present in that environment. Completely, yes. I completely agree with that. And and I think the, um, the you know, there are, there are all these moments which are very precious. And I think what I'm really saying in the imagination muscle is we need to be more attentive to these moments. We need to realize, work out when they're happening in our day. And you know, each person's going to be slightly different. Yeah. But I've, I've, through writing this book, I've discovered a lot about myself and where, how I imagine and where my ideas come from and how to have more of them. Yeah, and it's fun, isn't it? It's a real it's, kick. It's, it's great fun, and it's, it's more than fun. It's, it, it's, you know, it's all the research shows that if you, if you occupy an imaginative life, if you're creative, you're a happier person. Yeah. And all the and I think one of the problems with society today is we we, we we delegate the imaginative activity to the experts and we become consumers. We don't we don't you know in 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 societies of, of old they would everyone would participate in imaginative activity whether it's dancing or singing, and we've kind of lost that and we and we we, we become passive consumers of, of Netflix of yeah. TV of of all sorts of media, and really to get back that individual imaginative muscle is is part of what makes you happy and it's part of what makes you alive. Um, I'm fascinated by words and some words that are just one letter away from almost the opposite, you know, uh, like life and lie, just missing the F, the lie, yeah. you know. Um, and I like play and pay. 
because you know we are some addicted to pay where we used to be addicted to play and we need to play more we again, need to play more yes we, we do we do we need to have more space in our lives for reflection i talk also about this idea of the spaces in between that we, we iron out the spaces in between you know the, the slow cooking versus the instant delivery on the phone who's your favorite imagineer uh, I think Da Vinci's up there. I think so. Um, the woman Jane Jacobs, I don't know if you've read the bit yeah, about Cities. Yeah. I think she's a wonderful character. She's someone I didn't know so much about before when I started writing the book. She, she's this great pioneer of how we should live in cities and how you build cities for ideas. And that is a subject which I think is what very about relevant. The difference between thinkers and imagineers? Well, I think they're part of the same thing. I think imagining, you know, the, 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 the language that we have with imagination and creativity and thinking, all these words kind of blend into each other. Yeah, yeah. They're not clearly defined uh, in, in relation to each other. But I think thinking in terms of problem solving, and you know, when it comes to business, a lot of what you're doing is problem solving and execution and getting things done efficiently and doing things cheaply and profitably. That, that, that requires an imaginative mindset. Yeah. You know, the Japanese have this expression kaizen, which is continuous improvement, always making oh, things better. Oh, I like that a lot. And that, re that comes down to imagination. And imagination doesn't have to be the big grand idea. It can be the small idea on the factory floor where you just make things that little bit better. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And in a company like mine, you know, everybody should be imagining, thinking about how to do their job. Yeah, better. and it's not about so if you, if you say you know we need to solve this problem. It's too much pressure, man. We need to imagine, yeah. you know, a better way of doing this. Imagining rather than solving. Exactly. You know. Yeah. And all the great the great sort of um, solvers of of our time, you know, made up or otherwise. Um, they basically were also, I mean, Einstein, you know, he says, what does he say about um, imagination? Imagination is more important than knowledge. knowledge. Yeah. yeah. And if it comes from him, we'll take it, won't we? Yes, completely. <laughs> yeah. And he solved problems by playing the violin. Oh, he did indeed. Um, because you're, it's called the music sometimes, but, you know, uh, for me, it's exercise and it's meditation. It's cold and hot therapy and yes, things like that. Exactly. And it's when I'm, I'm most peaceful, which, which other people, again, and I don't mean to be patronising, who don't deal in imagination as much as we are fortunate enough to have to, I suppose. You know, it's when you're at your quietest that all the most exciting things happen. Yes, exactly. because there's space there for them to. It's when you feel most alive. Your last chapter is about the future. Yes, imagining the future. Just we've got a minute left. Give us a minute on. Well, the, the future's changing as we speak. The the, the rise of Chat GPT. Amazing. Well, what are we on to? Four is yeah. is amazing, and I think it has all sorts of implications for the imagination, good and bad. I think the you know they, they, it'll do some of the imagining for us, which I think is bad because. Music will, you know, will be composed by a machine, and I think that's not a good thing. We don't want to go in the way of Hollywood sequels. And at the same time, these new tools are coming up where you can imagine a video game, and and and, and AI can help you build it very quickly. So, so it's there are good and bad things about the future, but I think the imagination is what defines us, what's going to save us. What do you imagine you're going to get up to for the rest of today? Rest of today, well, I'm going to going to the office. <laughs> How many? What are, what are the titles you oversee? Well, we've got Vogue, GQ, Vanity Fair, Tatler, Wired, World of Interiors, House and Garden. You're the boss. I'm one of the bosses. You're yeah. one of the bosses. Okay. Um, did the, did the other bosses and your work first know you've snuck onto our show this morning? To talk uh, about they're it? listening as we peak. Are right? they? Yeah. Great. Yeah. As we speak and as we peak. <laughs> uh, well, Albert, it's great to meet you. Well, thank you, Chris. Congratulations. Great book, The Imagination Muscle. Beautiful, moving, profoundly imaginative in itself, as entertaining as it is relevant and practical. From the one, the only, Alan de Botton. None, no less. Great, where good ideas come from and how to have more of them. Vassos, have you read this? I have, yeah. Really? I did, yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I very much enjoyed going into the... Was it um, Turner's Snowstorm? You were yes. talking about focus. Yes. And what happened with that? I probably haven't got time for it, but just very, very briefly. 
Well, that's about observation. That's about yeah. the why, why, before you imagine, you've got to observe. And this yeah, yeah. goes back to Lima Miranda. You've got, to, you've got to see things. You've got to really pay attention to the world around you. That's how, you, that's how ideas come to you. All right. Okay. Well, great to see you. See you tomorrow. Have a lovely Wednesday, everybody. See you Thursday. Bye-bye.